past week, I watched this documentary. Apparently, it, was, it won some awards. Uh, this documentary called Free Solo. Um, if you've, if, everyone that made that noise has watched it. It is the most stressful, suspenseful movie I've ever watched. And it's about this guy you see on the screen. His name is Alex Hanold. He's 33 years old. He is you know, the world's top free climber. If you don't know what free climbing is, what do you see is missing from this picture? There are no ropes. And I don't know if you noticed this right here. I mean, he's basically just holding onto a wall this, this flat. Like, I don't understand it. Like, there's this, one, there's this one moment where he's walking through this move, and I mean, like, the, the, the most distinct thing to grasp that he has when he is thousands of feet up in the air is like half the width of your finger, and somehow he is staying stuck to the wall. And he does this, and, and we're watching it with my kids, and I kind of just kind of, I did the, like the don't look him in the eye, and they may not notice that we're not watching a kid's show thing. And they actually got interested, and we're watching it, and they said, why would he do that? And I was like, I, I don't know. And then they said, would you do that, Daddy? And like my ego wanted to say, sure. But <laughs> I committed, I was like, no. And they were like, well, why not? And I said, well, because I have too much to live for. And like whatever I could gain from making it to the top of that mountain would not be worth the risk of dying for me. It's like, it's just not worth it. So it was, it really struck me of like, for him, it was worth it. And like he's in, you know, I don't want to ruin the whole, it's a really amazing documentary. Watch it. There's story to it. It's not just like watching someone climb. Um, but, I, but I mean, like he decided it was worth it. But for me, it wasn't. It wasn't worth it to me. And I just, I, it was whatever I could gain would not be worth dying. Today, we're talking about a faith in Jesus Christ that claims to be worth any cost for your life. We're talking about a, a, a relationship with a living God through a Savior that made a way for us to be whole and at peace and restored to the extent that we would exchange anything for it. We're talking about it as if it's a reality. That's the, that's the promise of it. We see it communicated in Scripture. We have par parables that Jesus taught. and We have the parables saying the kingdom of God is like, and there's a couple of them, the, the treasure in a field, the pearl of great price. And it was, you know, these things that you're searching for of great value, and you search and search and search, and once you find them, you go and sell everything you have in order to attain this one treasure. The one that you find in a field and you go and bury it and then you go and sell everything and then you come back and buy the whole field that is kind of typically worth it except for the treasure that's there. Or the pearl. You sell everything to own this one little pearl, but it's the pearl of great price. It's this picture of, of, of the peace of God's rule and reign over our life that we are ushered into in Christ. Paul, Paul, the guy that wrote this letter we've been studying in another letter says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It sounds so flippant. But it's not, and it's real, and it's deep, and that's the way he sees the world. He's like, man, to, to live today, I have the joy of honoring and, and, and living out the love and truth and light of Jesus. To die is to be whole and to be restored fully. Jesus, he prayed, Lord, as he was looking and heading to the cross, he said, take this cup from me. He says, but your will be done, not mine. His humanity did not want to take on the cross. His humanity did not want to take on death and separation and sin, our sin. But yet, 
he decided it was worth it. He said, your will be done, not mine, God. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, taking it all on because it was worth it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, you know, the, the, maybe the well-known German World War II era martyr, he said, the call to Christ is the call to come and die. So this is the faith that we're talking about today. This, if you've, you know, Christianity, this is what Christianity is. And Christianity is, is nothing more but everything of being a Christ follower, acknowledging Christ as Savior and Lord and being brought into his life and purpose and saying, my life is now this purpose. And it's the new reality from our salvation in Christ that leads to peace with God and relationship with him that compels us to live our lives for that purpose. Because we've tasted and because we've seen what is good and true, expressed by our holy creator God, our loving heavenly father who sent his only son for you and me. And that's why we commit our lives to these purposes, the greatest commandments to love God and love people and the commission to go and we commit our lives to the cause of Christ, making disciples, which means to again proclaim the salvation that is in Christ alone. And then walking alongside, seeing people grow in the richness of their faith and relationship with him to the point where they are compelled to do the same. And we commit our lives to those things. Love God, love people, live for the cause of Christ, no matter the cost. That's the faith we're talking about today. So today's sermon from Romans 16, it assumes that this is the case. This is the posture that Paul assumes for his audience, assumes that this is the reality for them in their view of their purpose in life, the view of the value of their faith in Christ. This sermon is not about why your lives should be committed to the cause of Christ. The whole letter of Romans up to this point has done that. So please, if you want, I mean, I would encourage you over and over again to refresh through Romans. If, you, if, if you're new to all this, we've got almost two years of sermons. This is our 52nd sermon in Romans. But the whole, that's what the whole letter's about. So if you don't know why, I want to encourage you, because I want to encourage you to go spend time in Romans. Not, don't do it by yourself. Do it with some others. Um, each of us have this call on our lives, this reality we're talking about today. So it's an individual call, but we are called together. We are a people. The church is always plural when you read in Scripture. It's always plural. It is never one person. Our faith is one that is communal, even though it's huge, it's greatly personal. So today we'll see, when we think about this community committed to the cause of Christ, we will see what the characteristics of that community is. What are the characteristics of a community that is committed to the cause of Christ together? That's what we're talking about today. That's what comes from this passage. So just a quick couple points of review to make sure we're clear. This is a personal and pastoral letter from Paul as he was writing from Corinth to the church in Rome, meant to be read kind of through all the churches in that region. And he's, he really has covered it all up to this point. Like this, is, this letter is what every pastor wants to communicate every sermon, and we just can't. We're not that good. And we just can't. And it takes us 30 minutes to say what Paul said in this one letter, like in one little couple verses. But he covered it all. So again, please spend time in it. He's bringing it to a close, so he's, he's really kind of wrapping everything up. So today we're going to look at kind of this closing section, 16, 1 through 23. We're going to read 23 verses all at one time, and you're going to love it. All right? Are you ready? 
So uh, go ahead. I haven't asked you to do this yet. Uh, Romans 16 is where we're going to be, so open your Bibles if you haven't. Verses will be on the screen. We use the YouVersion Bible app. If you use that, click on the More tab at the bottom right. Look for events. Click events. We'll pop up thanks to GPS. Unless your location services are off, then you might have to search us. So you can follow on there. And also, there's Bibles under a chair near you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, please take one of those. That's our gift to you. So hopefully you're there. Let's read this uh, so we can enjoy what is here for us. Here we go. So he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. And she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert in Christ to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stach... I can't do that sound. It's like Stachis. Uh, greet Apelles... Yep. Who is approved in Christ? Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Do y'all know him? Aristobulus? Y'all know him. Um, greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania and Trephosa, probably sisters. Uh, just so you know, the root of their name means delicate one. Isn't that sweet? Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, and avoid, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The, cr the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosip. I'm from Georgia, so I want to say Sosa Pater, and um, my kinsman. Just got to keep you in tune here. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, meaning he penned it for Paul as Paul said it, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, greets you. Okay, so is that all clear? Right? You get how... <laughs> This is the characteristics of a community committed to the cause of Christ, right? Amen. Okay, so it's riveting. At first, no, right? At first, it's just like, what in the world? I can't even, I mean, obviously, like, we don't know how to pronounce half of the names. Like, but in context, it really is compelling and beautiful. So I really want to start with this. This is just uh, kind of more of a literary opportunity we have. Like, whenever we see a list of names like this, whenever we see this list of names, you know, I think this, it does something to really help us. I think as we read Scripture, 
we often read the people we read about kind of too flat. We don't read them as people. We don't read them as people that, that went through things and had people that mattered to them and had people that came and went and had, had to deal with all that. I mean, so that when we read them flat, we miss out on just the humanity. It's easy to dismiss this as something far off that we, that we can't attain to because it doesn't feel as personal as what we live every day. So just real quick, as we see just this list of 26 people that he's, he's calling out love to, we see that Paul was, a, Paul was a person. He had people in his life that mattered. He had people that he cared about and, and everything else that comes with life. So this is really helpful to us to help us not read this flat, to help us not read this in an impersonal, removed way, but to maybe draw us in a little bit to that there really is a reality of humanity in the, inter, in the intersection with faith and grace and truth in Jesus Christ. So let us just be drawn into that first. Let us, let us take a pause, take a breath, and just say, I will not read this flat. This is a person. He's real, just like me, and he faces things like me. What else do we see? So we come to our first characteristic of a community committed to the cause of Christ. And to get there, I want to back up into 15 real quick. I'm just going to do this in quick summary form. Um, I would really encourage you to go listen to the last couple of sermons, read through Romans 15, uh, 14 and 15, um, discuss it together. But looking at 15, verses 14 and 15, like I want us to look at some stuff in 15 to see that there, that there is something really personal happening here. Again, Paul has written this, this treatise of a pastoral letter, this treatise of gospel truth. And yet the way that he's closing it says something. In 14 and 15, he, he takes great care to say, hey, I know you and I can vouch for you and I've written some tough things, but I'm writing them more as of a reminder. And he's saying that because he's closing the letter and we'll see he's hoping to go there and he wants to, he wants to end well because he wants it to go well with him when he goes. He wants to be welcomed. He doesn't want people to roll their eyes and say, oh, here comes Paul. He's just going to beat us up again. You know, just like he did in the last letter. He doesn't want there to be any chance of people misreading this letter. He's like, this is a faithful church. They, they are doing it right. And I want you to see, like, because we all need reminding, I'm writing to remind you. So in 14 and 15, we see that. In 22 through 24, again, we see this very deep personal desire to spend time together. He says, I've longed to come with you for so long, but I've been hindered. There is a personal desire that he's been wanting to come that he has not been able to do because of the purpose of his life, because of the call that he feels, because of the responsibility that he feels. Again, we've really dug into this stuff over the last few weeks. So if this is unsatisfactory, please go dig back in. Uh, and then in 26 through 27, he, we see this picture of a generous community where we see other gospel communities giving of their money to support another community in another place and another people that are going through very difficult times and are poor. The, the church in Jerusalem. So all these other Gentile churches have been taking up collections, and so we see this picture of a generous church, a generous people. And then in 29, 15, 29 through, 20, through 33, we see this, this, this loving, mutual blessing. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace 
be with you all. So we see this, first off, just this, this communication of humility and respect saying, like, I, I don't only want to be a blessing to you, which I do. You're going to be a blessing to me. And I want you to catch what's happening. He's thinking of the road ahead, and you can already hear some weariness, some road wear on Paul. He, he's, it's hard work. It's hard to, I mean, this is like a call in his life that's worth no matter what cost, right? The living sacrifice from Romans 12. And he's, he's seeing, and then he knows that he's going to face even more opposition as he continues and into Jerusalem. And, and he's like, I, I really can't wait to come to you because I know that you're going to be an encouragement to me. I need a space that is safe, a people that are safe. And so we see just this beautiful picture of community taking shape. And then we come into our long list of 26 people. And listen to the words used to describe them. He uses family language, brother and sister and mother, literally and figuratively. He calls them fellow workers, which is not just like a co-worker. It's like we are in this together. We've thrown our lot in together. He talks of, of Prisca and Aquila. They saved his life. That's pretty close. They, 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 they stuck their necks out for him. They put themselves in danger in order to help him. Beloved, he uses beloved over and over again. Love me like a mother. And then at the end, he sent greetings from eight more people. So again, very personal. So, so what do we see here? The first characteristic of a community committed to the cause of Christ is that it's caring. Just simple. It's caring. It's caring at a cost. Maybe we should say that. It's caring at a cost. This matters. Why does this matter? This matters when the lives that we live are committed to something that claims our entire lives. Let's remember the faith that is in view here. It's the faith that is worth any cost in this life. It's the faith that is birthed out of what you have tasted and seen, the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness. When we are saved in Christ, it's not just for our peace and assurance it also folds us into the cause of Christ. We say to be a disciple is to follow Jesus with your head, heart, and hands. It is to acknowledge him as Lord and to commit growing and understanding and committing to a life of obedience, choosing over and over again to say yes and I will obey because he is worthy and he is good and his glory is my greatest, greatest concern. And as we walk in that daily obedience, we see that our hearts are transformed from the inside out. And as our hearts are transformed by the work of his truth through the Holy Spirit, our motives and our will is changed to take on his, and therefore we take on the work of, of Jesus' hands. We pull this from Matthew 4.19 where he said, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we follow, he makes in us, and we become fishers of men. The reason that he came to seek and save the lost. So we're all called to that. If you call Christ Savior, praise God he's brought you into that. It's not just a far-off hope that you get to look forward to one day. And praise God we have that hope. So much confidence for today. But there's a purpose and a cause today, and it's the cause of Christ to seek and save the lost, to go into the hardest and darkest places, not in our strength but his, not in our wisdom but his, not for our glory but his. So although... 
unique, uniquely for each of us, we have a purpose of our lives that causes us to surrender daily. Praise God that it's unique. It makes us more effective. I'm thankful that you care about things that I don't. <laughs> and I'm thankful that you have gifts that I don't. That gives us so much more opportunity in this world. So we have a purpose that calls us to surrender daily, to lay down our rights, to put others first, to surrender our earthly ambitions for the sake of glorifying God and seeing his redemptive work through Jesus break into every nook and cranny of our world. This is uncomfortable. It's costly. Paul also lists five house churches, house churches in this list. Anytime you see a name and all those in that house or all the saints that were with them, we see it with Prisca and Aquila, which, by the way, that name might ring a bell. Acts 18, you run into them. Paul was, they, they, were, they, were, they were tent makers together. And if you recall, they weren't in Rome at the time. And you've heard us describe that there was a time when Claudius kicked all Jews out of Rome. Prisca and Aquila were one of them. They were one of those couples. So where they went, the gospel went with them, and they were faithful. They, they threw in their lot. They didn't say, what was me? Where's my, my, I've been kicked out of my home. They just said, okay, next opportunity. And then five years later, when the ban is lifted, they go back because they have a heart for their hometown. And they have a church there. They, they went back, and now they're leading a house church. And then you see the family of Aristobulus. Aristobulus, just to be some context fun, Aristobulus is probably not a believer because he's not personally attributed to anything. He's just said the house of. And this is probably a gathering of slaves and freed slaves that have gathered together in the gospel that is a house church. Pretty fun. Family of Narcissus, again, another house church. Brothers and sisters with all those people that are listed in verse 14, that's a house church. All the saints who are with those listed in verse 15 house churches. So we're like, see the picture here. Like if you, we are called together to mission and to care for that mission. Again, it's a cost. It's costly. It's hard. It's as wonderful as it is. And we do need each other. And we see these people gathering in the faith together. This is where we grow and care and reach the world is this life together. It's not just for us. It certainly is, but it is all for the purpose of God's glory in his gospel through Jesus in this world. God calls us to it. So we see the gospel community as a priority through both obedience and necessity. I mean, we see over and over again this, this compelling to gather together. Hebrews, do not neglect to gather together as some have. We see this call, so we are called to it, but it's also an invitation to us. And, and because we know the life we live for him, we'll need support and encouragement. So it is a command as well as a necessity. You know, if you want to experience the value of gospel community, I just want to invite you um, to both just jump in, but, but really to compel you and encourage you to get involved in gospel ministry. There is no greater motivation for the, the community in Christ than to be on mission. 
That is what will just, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the carbon being compressed into the diamond. I mean, it's the life lived. Be, I mean, like the, if, you, if we're living out the cause of Christ, it is so far beyond us. It's beyond our wisdom. It's beyond the strength of our hands. It's beyond our ability. It's beyond our will. It is only God transforming our will through the Holy Spirit and His truth that we will ever engage that because it's costly. So if you really want to be motivated for this, I want to encourage you again, please just jump right in, but also say, where is my opportunity to serve the ministry of the gospel? And if you're not a Christ follower today, um, I want to speak a loving word just to say that the things of this world will fade. The purposes of this world will fade. But the word of God, his purpose, his promise, and his redemption will stand forever. So as you listen to this today, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're saying, I'm just here to kind of listen or observe or I'm kind of curious, I just want to invite you to come and taste that he is good, that he's shown that goodness and the sacrifice of his son Jesus for your sake and mine. And to step into to what it would be to enjoy the reality of your life being overtaken by this love, by this truth, and this purpose that is greater than anything that this world could ever offer. If you constantly find yourself just being dissatisfied, if you constantly find yourself just once again with empty hands, there's a reason. The things of this world will always leave our hands empty. So I want to invite you into that. So our community should be caring. There's another characteristic we see in this passage. We see that a community committed to the cause of Christ is diverse. It's diverse. Listen to this list, 26 people. Although we don't know much about many of them directly, we can tell a lot by their names. So we see in this list, through, through some direct things as well as their names, we see Jews and Greeks. We see those that are well-off, influential people like Phoebe. She was a benefactor. She was, she was influential in her community, not just the church. She's cared for many. She had means. We see single people. We also see three married couples, um, Prisca and Aquila, Junia and Herman, um, and Julia and her man. They're, I can't remember their names right now. I didn't write it down. But we see three married couples. We see different generations. We see, we see mothers of Rufus, and, and we see um, younger people as well. We see slaves and ex-slaves like Ampliatus and Urbanus, and there's more. We see whole churches made up of them. We see men, and we see women. Every kind of segment of diversity you could hope for, you see. So how do we become diverse? How does this happen? We become diverse because wherever we go, we go with the cause of Christ. And when we do that, we become diverse because we are not limited to only being comfortable with people like us. Why? Hear this. Because we see all people as image bearers of God. First and foremost, we see that God created every single person in his image. Therefore, they are worthy of that dignity and love and respect. And we don't need any other reason to say, let's throw our lot in together. We have no cause for separation because of that. We become diverse because we are not afraid to go into environments and relationships that religious elites have said to avoid in fear of being tainted. 
Again, in the old covenant, the old way, the unholy ruined the holy. Jesus came and made the unholy holy before God by giving us his righteousness. We don't have to fear of being made dirty because Jesus has made us clean. And he wants to purify all for, his, for God's glory. And by the way, that's why we have this, this, this core value of that we, are, um, that we commit to leave, to live in biblical freedom. It's not just our, our salvation, it's also socially. We become diverse because wherever our feet stand, we have opportunity for the gospel, and therefore we will find our feet in all sorts of places we didn't expect with all sorts of opportunities for the gospel, just like Prisca and Aquila. They were kicked out of their home, they went and settled in a place, and they assumed the life of those who live out the gospel. We become diverse because our feet are compelled to go be messengers of the gospel of Jesus, bringing his light into the darkest places. We can live in this unity in the midst of vast differences because why? Because we share the greatest commonalities, right? Greatest commonalities. We were created, we were all created by our holy creator in his image. We're all sinners in need of a savior. We've all fallen and sinned against him, common need. We all have, we've all, if we are in Christ, have experienced the grace, mercy, and forgiveness in our salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you have not, there is an invitation to you. And in him, we have been given the Holy Spirit to incline and empower our lives to God's truth and realities. What greater cause of unity is there than that? All these other things that are lesser things, these surfacey things or these cultural things, they are false dividers that Jesus can overcome. We also must take a moment to point to the importance of women in this moment. And especially kind of in our tribe of, of church. Um, we cannot miss here nine of the 26 listed as women and, that, and today that may sound like, oh, that's not many. That just sounds par for the course. At this time, that's huge. Very patriarchal. Women, very marginalized. So first off, that we would see nine. And then five of those nine were given, very, were given attention, whether it be Phoebe and Prisca or whether it just be saying that they were beloved or they were faithful workers. They were important to the purpose in life of the church. Again, Phoebe, an important leader. Prisca and Aquila, partners in ministry with Paul. They also, if you, maybe if, if there's another opportunity that might ring a bell with them. Apollos was another uh, important leader in the church, but he had an incomplete understanding of the gospel. It was Prisca and Aquila who brought him to a fuller understanding of the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. So, Andronicus and Junia, that's a, that's a husband and wife. That was Junia's man I was talking about. They were both making enough impact and ruckus where they were that they ended up, they both ended up in jail with Paul. If you saw, he says that they are my fellow prisoners. That, like that, that's a big deal. So they're both impacting their world and their community and they're leading out. So just let it be said that in our church and in the church, women must absolutely have a voice. They have to be in roles of influence and leadership, and we have to, if, if we want to be healthy and if we want to continue in God-glorifying ministry, we need help. We can't, if it is just men that lead out and have the voice and, and don't hear and don't have perspectives of, of these godly, gifted, called women, 
we will be incomplete. We will be insufficient in our leadership. So we'll continue to wrestle with what it means to be men to serve in the sacrificial headship given to us reflecting the, the, the reality of Jesus over his church, and for women to serve in that helpship reflecting the church. We're going to continue to wrestle with that and lean into that and pray that the Lord would continue to grow us in that. So it, it needs to be said. It's worth it, especially where we're at today. Um, I want it to be heard. And, um, and so join in with praying uh, for us in that. So the church, the community committed to the cause of Christ is caring, it's diverse. The last thing that we see is that it, we are grounded in God's wisdom and truth. Communities committed to the cause of Christ pursue God's wisdom and truth. Paul warns in verse 17 through 19 to watch out for false teachers. Let's read that together again. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive, for your obedience is known to all, so that our, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, and innocent as to what is evil. So you have a purpose in your life, and, and we have one in our community, and we have an enemy. Satan is real, and he is our enemy. He, he is not, he never, he never stops. He has one purpose, and that is to deceive and is to derail. And so he is working to do that. And so he will, there will be the opportunity for deception and lies in our midst. Paul knows it's hard to identify a false teacher by mere outward appearance. They don't have a uniform, they don't wear a special hat, they don't have a letter. They know it looks like you and me. He knows that. So instead of, instead of just focusing on mere outward, he, he really spends more time on how to identify them from their lives and their teaching. So how does he describe them in these verses? He describes them as divisive. He says their teaching is contrary to Scripture and the gospel. He says they serve their own appetites, their own motives. They're trying to glorify themselves. He says they're smooth-talking and persuasive. They're slick they're, they're willing to manipulate for their own good. So we have to, so he says, be weary, watch out, and avoid them. And then he says, the way that we do this is to pursue wisdom. To pursue wisdom is to pursue God's truth and character. It is to know and understand who God is. God, and how did God intend for us to know him? He intended us to know him through the testament of Jesus, his life, and then his word that was recorded of all of his truth. So God gave us his word, the scripture, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And he gave us each other so that we could know him. If we want to recognize false teaching, we must know truth. You know, I think about, like, what does that mean? Um, I, I ate a tarantula in Cambodia back in you know, 2006, I think. I ate a tarantula in Cambodia. Uh, honestly, I don't know if it was a good tarantula, as far as tarantulas go, right? Because I don't really have a frame of reference. I, there, you know, I don't know if it was good or bad. There really aren't many food bloggers writing about what makes a good tarantula. 
And I've only had one, and it was from the very first street merchant that I came up on that was serving pan-fried, garlicky, buttery tarantulas. And by the way, I would only recommend it if you are an experienced person and are in Cambodia. I would not say if you're at a restaurant here that says, we are serving tarantulas, I would say pass. You know, it's kind of a win in Rome thing or win in Cambodia. I don't know if it was a good tarantula because I have no frame of reference. I have no other education. We, we can't know the truth. We can't know lies unless we know the truth. So he has invited us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word, and he's given us the fellowship of the church to walk alongside each other in humility, pursuing his truth that we could be equipped with what is good so that we can know what is not good. What a gift. So we don't only gather to care for each other and to be cared for. We also gather to grow each other strong in truth, to equip each other, to build each other up. Again, remember the picture of the house churches here. They are gathered together. So as each of us are called to live our lives as a living sacrifice where the worth is, a, is worth any cost, we are called to gather together to build each other up in truth, to, to, to equip one another and build each other up. So that's why we gather here on Sundays. This is big vision stuff. This is why we gather, to unify us in our big purpose. We also gather in transformation groups, and that's where, where we really, like that is kind of like the hub of our, of our expression of kind of like of gospel ministry as well as, as where, we, where we grow a lot. Um, that's where we share life, that's where we share our burdens, that's where we kind of have a, a sense of connectedness and knowing and being known. But even that is insufficient for, for deep care and our deep equipping because there are such nuanced realities to everyday life, whether it's the little things you're facing or whether it's the things that you need as you are growing in your walk with Christ. Henry, what you're facing is different than what I'm facing, right? We're different people. We live different lives. I'm married, have kids, 42, my back's starting to hurt, you know, whatever. Like, and I have, and I am an enthusiast of all things new. Like, that puts me in different situations, and I've got different relationships, and I've got different families. Probably a lot of those are different for you. And because of that, we can't sit in a big group and think we're going to walk away with the specific needs that each of us have. And so even that group of 10 to 15 that we do in groups isn't quite sufficient for that. And that's why we call each other to share life in very personal ways, one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, or two-on-two, any combination of four or less. Um, <laughs> but, but we commit to that. And then even beyond that, like there needs to be just kind of soft space that we gather with no agenda and no purpose where we're just kind of a gift to one another. And in those spaces, those are great spaces that we get to actually be a picture of the love of Jesus to those around us. So, so we gather to care, but also to build up, to, to be cared for. And, and as we've said the past few weeks, it is not like you have this binary care, be cared for, care, be cared for. It's the sheep and the shepherd. We are all sheep and we are all shepherds. And it may be one breath. We are a sheep that needs to be rescued. And the next breath, we are a shepherd that has a sheep to rescue amongst each other. And it's the same picture as we look at each other as an opportunity to care and be cared for. It is not that we get to sit and be cared for while we're needy, and then once we get better, we go and care for. Today, we are equipped in God's grace to be able to offer what we have as he has done in us to love and care and build up one another. So we see this beautiful picture of a caring, diverse, dynamically equipped community in God's truth. 
So I want to invite us all into that. Let's, let's let our imaginations run wild of what could be if that truly is the characteristic of our, of our community. And it does start with be, each of us being committed to the cause of Christ. And of course, there is one more starting point before that, and that is a relationship with God in Jesus Christ. So if you're not a Christ follower today, I want you to hear that first off, just as a people, as a community, you belong here. You don't have to, you don't have to say a pledge for us to say you're, you're one of us. You're our people. We love you. And we, there is a joy to coming in life together. I mean, that's, again, coming back to our mission statement. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. Our name is the bridge because of the way that that pictures our way of life, that, that we intentionally live lives that, in, that build bridges into lives of others. And as we come into life and enter in shoulder to shoulder as we do in life and in common interest, as I pursue Jesus, pray prayerfully and praise God, the persons and the people in my life will encounter him, not me. That's our opportunity. And so if you're not a Christ follower, with great love and open hands, enter in with us. Know that you are loved today. And know that as much as we love you and desire to love you, know that God loves you even more. We will fail you, but he will not. What a glorious invitation. So we do. We want all, let us all pursue loving one another, to see the greatest commandments, to love God, love people. Every other commandment that he has given, they matter, they flow out of those. We want to pursue the questions of life and existence together with as a safe space. And we want to invite you onto this journey of pursuing Jesus. We don't want to change you. If there's any change that comes, our prayer is that it is through Jesus. Not just for you, but that's our prayer for all of us. So I pray we are caring. I pray we are diverse in a way that reflects that we have a unity beyond surfacey things. We have a unity through the gospel and work of Jesus. I pray that as we do this, we pursue God's truth together.